You're listening to The Nerve, an English and arts podcast from SETU. I'm your host, Dr. Jenny O'Connor. In this episode, we are going back online to talk to the very busy Angela Flannery, author of the novel The Amusements, which is set in Tremor here in the southeast. Angela has had an entire other career in journalism, broadcasting and social media, but decided to complete an MFA in creative writing in UCD and has continued to hone her craft in writing ever since. Her short story, Visiting Hours, was the winner of the 2019 Harper's Bazaar Short Story Competition. And in 2020 and 2021, she was awarded a literature bursary by the Arts Council of Ireland. Her work has appeared in the Bath Anthology and has been broadcast on RTE Radio 1 as part of the Frances McManus Short Story Competition. She was recently nominated for the RTE Short Story Competition 2022 and in the same year produced The Amusements, her first book, which has received rave reviews from the national press as well as from authors such as Anne Enright, Marion Keyes and Donal Ryan. The Amusements is currently shortlisted for the Irish Book Awards in the Sunday Independent Newcomer of the Year category. So welcome, Angela, and thanks so much for taking the time to be our guest. We really do appreciate it. Um, So I mentioned that you've already lived a couple of lifetimes, it sounds like, in terms Mm. of your career. Um, And I did read, you know, you tend to play down the story of how the book got written in the first place, because I suppose it has that kind of headline fodder, you know, writer gives up trappings of modern life to become, you know, author or whatever. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about taking the decision to really um, commit to writing full time? Yeah, well, thanks for inviting me onto the Nerve podcast, Jenny, to start. Um, yeah, I um, look, I always wanted to be a writer, you know, but it's not, it, well, at least to me, it didn't seem like it was ever going to be possible. It was sort of a fantasy. I mean, who who gets to write? It's a dream, you know. Um, and so I thought, well, I, maybe journalism is something I could get into. And so I became a journalist. But I mean, I even came to that quite late. Um you know, I was 30 when I did my master's in journalism. And so I spent, you know, 16 years working as a journalist then. And um, but all the time I was kind of writing away in the background. Now, my career in journalism really was in broadcast journalism. That was my day job. But because I liked writing so much, I was lucky enough to get freelance work with the newspapers. And so I was writing columns in the main for the Irish Independent, but also for Image magazine. And, you know, I was given great creative freedom because there were first person columns and I had a restaurant review for about 12 years in The Independent. Um, But my editors, you know, they were always saying to me, you're very good at writing, as though this was something kind of unusual (laughs) for a journalist. And I was like, well, aren't we all? Isn't that what we're doing here? Um, You know, they were very kind to me and very supportive and encouraging. And I kind of copped on that actually, you know, journalism when I was working in broadcast, I was working in news mostly. And that was very clean. You kind of left it every day, it changed and you never brought it home with you. But when I was writing my columns, I mean, I would, I might as well have written them in my own blood. I mean, I'd be sitting there half the night, you know, having this interior kind of monologue and dilemma over whether it should be a, 
semicolon there, what that would do for the pacing. And this is crazy stuff. This is what creative writers do, you know, kind of have these debates over the use of an M dash or a comma or, you know, how many adjectives and what does this word really, the musicality of the sentence. And then a sub editor would come in and they, you know, I mean, they didn't edit my stuff very heavily, but it was usually about space on the page and they might lop off the bottom paragraph and it would break my heart, you know. Um, so all of this and um, the length of time it was taking me to do, you know, my print journalism work was kind of, I knew in my heart that really this was creative writing that I was trying to kind of shoehorn into my career as a journalist. And then I, you know, so I was, I was, you know, I was writing short stories and I, you know, I'd begin a novel and then I'd kind of I'd get a commission or, you know, childcare, the mortgage bills, all of this kind of real life stuff. It was like, what are you at, Angela? You know, you can't keep doing these bits of short stories and bits of novels. So I never, you know, I just didn't kind of, I didn't pursue it, but I became very frustrated because there were so many things I wanted to write about that I couldn't write about as a columnist. And in the end, I just, um, I wrote a novel. I just wrote a novel. You know, it took me a year and I kind of I was just at that stage in my life where, you know, I wasn't really going out much. You know, I'm I'm a lone parent and it was me and my son. And I kind of thought, well, look, you know, sure, what else would you be doing? You know, you just just write it. <laughs> so I wrote this novel and um and I, I did a short course in the Irish Writers Centre in beginners fiction. Um and I thought, well, I heard about the novel fair in the Irish Writers' Centre. So I entered the novel in and to my utter amazement, it was one of the winners of the novel fair in 2018. And uh, so I met uh, agents and um, publishers at that. Um, nobody picked up the novel. Thank God, because when I read it now, if that had ever been published, I'd be mortified, really, <laughs> to be honest. But it was a great step. It proved to me there's an amazing feeling when you get to the end of your first draft of a novel. Now, I mean, I didn't even understand drafts at this stage. When I typed the end, I thought, wow, I've done it. I've actually finished this thing. But of course, you know, that's only the beginning, as I know now. Um, but I, you, the thing is, it was a stepping stone and it got me into the MFA in UCD, the Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing. Uh, where Anne Enright was the professor of creative writing. Wow. So this, I, you know, this was such a game changer. It was very surreal, you know, to kind of go in to that environment in 2019, the following year I started doing it. And that was a real commitment to myself and my writing, you know, where it was expensive to do. It was time consuming. I think, you know, people thought I was having a midlife crisis. I gave up my job into JFM. Um, I started working with Children's Books Ireland, a part-time job there managing the children's lorries, which was wonderful. It was just so great to be in a different environment where I was all around. You know, I don't, I've no aspirations to be a children's writer, but to be around creative people and see actually what a writer's life is like. Um, it gave me a great understanding of what's involved. But I do think people thought that I was cracked, you know, like, what's she doing? Oh, she's nearly 50. Don't mind, you know, would you get a job in a bookshop? Would you not? Would they take you back? Was she fired from her job? This kind of stuff, you know? <laughs> and uh, so I, um, yeah, so off I went to UCG and to fix this novel, the first one. But in the meantime, I'd started writing short stories and one of them, uh, visiting hours won the Harper's Bazaar short story competition and that story was set in Tremor and I yes. couldn't get I couldn't get Helen the character in it 
out of my head. It is in the amusements now. It's been changed. It hasn't been changed that much, actually, as one of the chapters when Helen's looking back in her childhood and it's called St. Otterance in the amusements. Um, but originally that was the beginning. That was the origin story for the amusements was this little girl, Helen Grant. And I just was like, well, what happened to her, you know, and what happened to her dad? What happened to her mother and her brother? And did she have friends in Tremor? And, you know, did she, what did she do when she went to school? And so, yeah, it just, that was it. It started to kind of, you know, Tremor populated itself out of what happened with this little girl. And was that, so So when you say you had the novel, like you had a novel written beforehand, as in a draft of a novel written before the MFA, was that The Amusements Now? Or was no, that, not uh, at that all. Was, no. That's the other one. Yes, because I, I did read that you had another yeah. one that, that kind of got pushed to the side then um, in favour of some of these short stories. And and OK, so that that's interesting. You, so that you felt like that was the thing, though, that got you into the MFA. Oh, it definitely got me into the MFA because, you know, the novel fair in the Irish Writers' Centre has been a stepping stone for publishing deals for people. And a lot of people, you know, yeah, quite a few people, they do it every year, you know, and, um, you know, as an as an aspiring writer, an unpublished writer, it is one of the things in Ireland that, you know, people aim for and they they apply year after year with stuff. And I just was really lucky, really fortunate that um, I think it was, you know, there's two or three judges in that. And I know for a fact that it was the writer Nuala O'Connor who picked out my manuscript and there's something in it that she really liked, you know. Mm. Um, And I, you know, they kind of do a session with you before the novel fair. And she said to me, you know, you've you've a great humorous way of writing. And I got that from journalism. You know, like that was all the years of writing the columns, you know. Um, and I think, yeah, you, you never see in yourself what other people see in you. Uh, but that gave me great confidence because I'd admire her short stories in particular. Um, and it was just really a great endorsement, you know. But yeah, that novel, I mean, that's up. You, you know, if I if I had the tools to put it under the floorboards as opposed to under the bed, <laughs> it's never going to see the light of day. But I did like the dog in the amusements, Buddy. He was the dog in that novel, the original one, except he okay. was called Lucky. So I got the dog out of it. But <laughs> I also got, you know, I mean, I learned an awful lot by having that 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 first novel done. I mean, how to finish something for a start, but also. You know, there were you kind of think, oh, I can't throw it away. Well, you can throw it away, but there were whole lines or phrases or kind of strings of just you know clauses and sentences that I used again, or verbs that I realised were really effective for some reason. You know, uh, really muscular, or we're doing a lot of work. You know, that verbs could were you know the, a verb could be a descriptive word and it, it, it could work harder than an adjective, and that was a great lesson to learn. And dialogue, it got me really into dialogue as well, you know, so it, it was very worthwhile and it got me into the MFA because it's a very, you know, the writers, um, yeah, the Novel Fair and the Writers' Centre are really well respected. So it did, it opened the door for me into, into that MFA, yeah. Yeah, and I suppose for our own students, they might know the difference between an MA and an MFA, but the MFA is just more intensive, isn't it? And it's yeah. kind of, yeah, it's for people who have already proven themselves at writing rather than an undergraduate coming into an MA programme. Would I be right in saying that? Um, they're quite different, actually. Yeah, they are quite different. It's, um, I mean, I think MFAs originated in the States and what they are is um, practice-led postgraduates. So, um, you know, there wouldn't, have, in creative writing and in the creative arts, there wouldn't have been 
a way to do a PhD. So I think in America originally, an MFA was practice led. So if you were doing, you could be you could be doing music or dance or anything, but it was all about the arts. And so it was you um, developing your practice and your craft. And what you produce at the end of it isn't an academic thesis. It's the first draft of something. Or you know, if you were a dancer, it would be a dance piece, or you know, that that kind of thing. So whereas an MA in creative writing is much more academic, whereas you will be doing a bit of creative writing in it. Um, you know, your dissertation, I think, is more like a portfolio. You know, there's a lot of reading in an MA in creative writing and you learn the art of reading as a writer. And to do that, you have to do an, an enormous amount of reading across a lot of different genres as well. Um Whereas in the MFA, you kind of know already what it is that you're doing and you're going in. They like you, or at least in UCD, they did when I applied to be going in with the first draft of something already done, which is what right. I went in with. You know, so you're you're on your way there. And what you're doing is you're, you know, you're you're just honing your skills and you're sort of you're kicking it into shape. Um, and there is a bit of, you know, I mean, there was reading. We did, you know, we're reading all the time, but our focus entirely was on writing and getting the, um, you know, getting the first draft of your manuscript to the point where it's almost ready to submit to an agent or a publisher. So that's the difference. So what happens when when the writer in question then says, I don't, I don't like this, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm abandoning this manuscript? Yeah, nothing. You see, they give you huge creative freedom. I mean, you know, you're an adult, so they kind yeah. of, uh, they couldn't say to me, no, no, go back to the inferior novel. <laughs> It'll be grand. <laughs> you know, it was interesting, Jenny, because I kind of did, like, she, you don't know when you go into it, you're like, oh, mother of God, I'm going to tell Anna and write that I'm not doing this, I'm doing something else. She's going to be really <laughs> cross with me. Not at all. Not at all. But what was interesting was when I asked about that, you know, because I copped on pretty quickly, like it was before Christmas. It was, yeah, it was very quickly. It was within a month of June that I knew, oh, even within a couple of weeks, I might have known. And they said, no, sure, don't worry about it. Because sometimes people come in here with a novel and they end up publishing a book of poetry, which blew my mind that somebody could actually, you know, that it could change that much. I mean, I knew that there wasn't a poet in me. You know, but yeah. they, yeah, certainly the year before me, and I spoke to this woman about it. She had gone in, I think, with a collection of short stories or a novel on the go, and she ended up publishing a collection of poetry at the end. She just loved it, and she realized that actually her writing, that it was imagery, I think, was the big thing for her in writing, and that, you know, she realized, oh my God, I'm a poet. <laughs> <laughs> So I was I was waiting for some sort of, you know, uh, epiphany. yeah, epiphany, exactly, you know, or to kind of, you know, look in the mirror and realize I was a swan after all. But no, I was quite, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that didn't happen. It was, um, look, it was, it was brilliant. It was a great experience. You know, yeah. it really was. And, you know, it's kind of. You know, I mean, I'm in my 50s now. I came to this. I, mean, I didn't come to it quite late. I just got my act together quite late. Uh, but, you know, I um, I'm teaching at the moment in Galway, in the University of Galway, where they've had an undergraduate in creative writing for, I think, 12 or 13 years. And so I'm teaching people in their late teens as part of the module they call the professional writer. It's actually through the Irish Writers Centre as well. And I'm just... You know, I've, I, I can't stop saying it to them every week. I'm like, you're so lucky. If when I was 17 and leaving school, I could have done my undergraduate in English and creative writing, my life would have been totally different. And so, I mean, I was amazed that there were even postgrads in creative writing. 
you know, but to find out that there's an undergraduate in it as well. It's just it's an incredible thing to be able to do, to dedicate you know, to get this time and to be around other people that you can share your work with. And I mean, for me, anyway, writing is a really collaborative thing in the sense that I I really need to be part of a writing group. I need to be reading other people's work. And I, I'm really interested in their feedback on mine. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'll change things, but it just it's for a fresh perspective, you know. Mm. Um, and yeah, so I, I just think it's brilliant that creative writing has kind of entered into education in the way that it has and is respected, yeah. you know, as, um, yeah, you know, as a discipline that it really, that that it, it's getting that recognition. Yeah, absolutely. Because I did English as part of my undergrad and, and there was no creative writing anywhere on that programme, you know, whereas yeah. we teach it here in SETU and there are creative writing modules in there and the students really like that combination. You know, it gives certain people a, a certain outlet, um, I think, that they wouldn't have had otherwise. It's really yeah. nice. It um, is. And you know what the other thing is about that is that creative writing is so different to academic writing. And you do find that, you know, um, it's one of the earliest things that I realised was that now, I mean, I had the benefit of writing as a journalist with always with the reader in mind. So I think that really did help me. But like academic writing, it's about showing what you know, showing your understanding, like, you know, critiquing. It's the opposite. You're doing it with your head. Creative writing comes from the heart. It's a, a place of feeling. And it's it's such a different style of writing. So, um, and I think it's, to, that gear change is very difficult for students of English to make. You know, I think mm. it can be, it can be very hard for them to do it, to give themselves the freedom to do it, you know, and it's kind of when you start feeling foolish and start feeling a bit embarrassed about what you're writing, that you're really getting to the good stuff in creative writing. Yeah. And I suppose as a, as a teacher, you need to be really aware of that then too, to, you mm. know, to make sure that people feel comfortable in that space. Yeah, because it, yeah, absolutely. It's a very vulnerable space to be in for Yeah, you have to, there has to be trust in the room and respect for people. And I, I think, yeah, it is really important with creative writing because very often, you know, you're reading somebody's work and it's in a genre that you don't necessarily, you know, you don't write in, you might not even read in, you might kind of have a bias towards, but you, you know, somebody, somebody else feels that way about the genre that you're writing in. And so there's, there's a kind of um, reciprocal generosity of spirit required. And I think when you open your mind in that way, that actually you benefit hugely, hugely from it. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's so true. And well, thinking about, you know, things that we might be interested in down here in the southeast, we're very interested in, the, in oh, yeah. the, where your book is set. Um, so the fact that it's set in, in Tremor, it's only a stone's throw away, really. Um, and you have some history with Tremor, don't you? Yeah, I was born in Waterford, but I left when I was eight. We lived in Waterford City. We lived in Larchville until I was eight. And then we moved to South Kilkenny, but we only stayed a couple of years. And then by the time I was 11, I was living in Dublin. So I grew up in Dublin. But my earliest memories, um, like childhood memories, are taking the bus out to Tremor every day during the summer with my mom and my brother and my aunt and my cousins. And that's just what we did. We just sat there like this is, would be, you know, kind of the mid 1970s. And we were just there on the beach, you know, early bus out, last bus home. And I have really great memories of it. And, you know, my mother is from, um, my, my family down there are all powers. 
but they're not Waterford, they're South Kilkenny. I just like to say, because they kill me, you know, so I mean, I get this. But of course, you know, when you say to people, oh, yeah, her family from Kilkenny, they kind of start talking to you about North Kilkenny. But actually, no, you know, my family are from Lumcoin, which means that they work in Waterford. You know, it's Waterford is where they head to. And that's, yeah. Oh, you know, that border, that border is a contentious border, isn't it? Very, very, very contentious. I mean, yeah. I mean, my son would be saying to me, why is the bridge called the Cat Flap? <laughs> he just you know he just so so anyway well what happened jenny was that my dad died 20 years ago my father was english and he'd no family over here and we've been living in dublin and my mom um decided to move back down there but instead of moving to Waterford city or you know to kind of rural south kilkenny she decided to move to tremor because she had such happy memories of it you know, she would have gone there as a teenager to the dance halls. Tremor was where you went, the Atlantic Ballroom, the Silver Slipper, all of this, you know. And um, so she's been really happy down there. She loves it. And it means that, you know, we that's where we go to see her. And, our, you know, me and my two siblings, our children have grown up. Well, you know, they're still young. They're growing up. But as small children, where they went then on their holidays was also to Tremor. But I had no idea of what Tremor was like beyond the prom and the amusements. And um, I had an uncle living in Riverstown, like, you know, but he would have moved there around 1980. So we were in Dublin around that time. I didn't spend any time in Tremor as a teenager. But now that my mom is living there, you know, I, I just am much more familiar with it. And um, it's a place that I really love. And I love it in the off season. You know, I really like kind of being down on the beach and, you know, just walking around the town kind of when there when there aren't that many tourists around. And so, yeah, from years of just going there, I'd be looking at people thinking, what's the story with them now? And are they, you know, are they on their holidays or are they living here? And there's such diversity and colour in there. And I've just, you know, I've always loved the sea and seaside towns, but not so much when you go to a deserted beach somewhere. I'm kind of, I just like looking at people and people watching. And, you know, so I'd be making up little stories about people I'd see. And so that's kind of, a, you know, that's that's what the connection to Tremor is. Yeah. And I think seasonal towns, there's something that, that that provides a really rich backdrop, isn't there, for stories? Because you have the people who come and go and then you have the people who are still there and then you have the people who are there but want to leave. And all of those characters mm. appear in your book. Yeah. Um, so was that what kept bringing you back time and again after, like, because you, how many stories did you, how many short stories was, there were two, were there more than two that were related to Tremor before you wrote the novel? Um, no, there was only, well, actually there was two. Uh, one of them was shortlisted for the Bath Prize um, but that has nothing to do with the amusements. It just happens to be a story that was set in Tremor. Like yeah. I, I had quite a few stories that were set in Tremor and I was like, no, you know, they didn't, they just didn't gel with Helen's story. And so what ended up happening was I, I'd written a story called Kamikaze that was shortlisted for the RT short story prize. Um, and I thought to myself, is that Helen when she's older in that story? Cause I knew it was connected to the other story. And then I thought, no, it's not. It's somebody she knew when she was, you know, when she was a teenager. Maybe it was her friend. Maybe it was her best friend. How are they different? And I connected the two of them. So those, there are two chapters in this that started out as short stories, but the rest of the book, um, the other chapters, they were, they were built around, around the, um, around those two characters, Helen and her friend Stella, who's the character in Kamikaze. Kamikaze in the amusements is very different to Kamikaze, the short story. Uh, it's about twice the length. There's more characters in it because at that stage, 
once I was writing the book, I knew who Stella's mother was and I knew who her brother and sister were. But there was none of that in the original short story because I didn't know who she was. Yeah. You know, I had no idea who she was, you know, so. Uh, and so tell yeah. us, tell us a little bit about the structure of the book, because the structure yeah. is an interesting aspect, isn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I always saw it as a novel, but people kind of go, is it a collection of short stories? And, you know, when I look back on it now, I kind of think, well, a lot of the you know, the writers that I admire uh, and that I enjoy reading write in this shape. So I'm not that surprised that it came out as an episodic or a polyphonic novel, you know, where there are lots of different characters and they keep walking in and out of each other's chapters. And I kind of saw it almost like, a, you know, if you were to think about it in terms of television, like a television drama or even like a quite a dark soap opera. And a bit like, to, to me, kind of Twin Peaks was in my mind, which is something I watched a lot as a teenager. Me you know, too. In yeah. my late teens. And so all of the characters are really, really important, but I have these two central ones. And I kind of feel like you, you need to keep an eye out in each chapter because there's little clues in it about what's going to happen to the two main characters. You know, and then, I mean, for example, the butcher, Taddeus Burke, Ted Burke, the family butcher, he's one of the only people that supports Helen in her desire and her ambition to be a fine artist. And because he does that, and because he's the butcher, um, I kind of thought, well, that's an unusual thing now for the butcher to do. I wonder why he did that. And so I started thinking about Ted. And so Ted gets a chapter. But then it was like, ah, oh, poor Ted is lonely. You know, maybe his story is going to be, you know, he falls in love with somebody. And so his chapter is all about falling in love. But who does he fall in love with? But the woman who lived next door to Stella or Stella's mother. So and it's that idea, as you say, about a small town that everyone is interconnected. You know, that it's kind of, you know, there's little acts of kindness and little acts of cruelty that within a community that we kind of, you know, perform. And we don't know the influence that our behavior has on others. And that really interests me, you know, the kind of um, that the codependency that you have in a community, first of all, in families, but then also in communities and how that can work for you or work against you. And I think that's, a, you know, a big part of the amusements. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what you said about in like envisaging a, a TV series, that was actually one of my questions, because that's what I was thinking, too. And I was reading it. I was just like, I, I can almost see this in, yeah. you know, in my mind's eye. I can totally see the the episodes of this series. <laughs> um, and you said, too, something about um in an interview that you did about, I think was having a theme or no, it wasn't. It was on Twitter. I think you said that, that like um, you had theme, theme tunes for each yeah. of your characters. Um, and again, that put me in mind of, oh God, I can, I can see this. I can hear them entering. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, th like that visual thing. Do you, would you like to go down that route? Would you like it to be adapted by somebody or is that just purely for you in, and the way that you think about it in order to help you write? Well, I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't write it thinking, oh, TV or film or anything like that. But, um, you know, once it was finished, I, look, I I wasn't that surprised that it's very visual because Tremor is such a visual place, you know, that it is, um, it just has a huge visual appeal. Just, yeah. Um, so, 
look, I would love if, I mean, I'd like it to be done and done properly. <laughs> and I don't have any experience as a screenwriter. But um, yeah, it would be amazing. Of course it would. But the music thing, yeah, that was kind of, I mean, I still, when I hear certain songs, I go, oh, well, that's Stella's song or with Ted. Ted, it was a really funny one because, you know, Ted is really into musical theatre and opera. But when I think of Ted, the song that I think of is Nico, you know, the Velvet Underground and Nico, These Days, that song. And it's so kind of the opposite of what Ted is, but it's kind of, yeah, that's. That's how I imagine Ted, you know. And there's um, a kind, there's a kind of slight seediness to that type of music as well, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. which is that that other side of kind of maybe nightlife in in those seasonal towns that sometimes goes a little bit awry. Um, but yeah, it, it gets it gets to the heart of something yeah. something sweet, something something seedy. Um, and actually, it uh, that leads me on to a question just about about writing character because. Um, I saw that somebody had likened you to Elizabeth Strout in terms of your attention to detail when it comes to writing character. And it was something that struck me as well with your ability to write maybe unlikable characters or flawed characters really well, because I love that about her writing as well. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking, you know, particularly about Nancy's character here. Um, but is it, do you find that those characters really draw you in? Are they a challenge or do you find them easy to write? How do you yeah. feel about them? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Elizabeth Stroud because actually your earlier question about the structure of it, I would have been hugely influenced by uh, My Name is Lucy Barton and by all, um, Anything is Possible, Elizabeth Stroud's um, composites, you know, where she has a character and she can't let them go. Like, you know, and I, I love that. Like, I'm like, when's the next Lucy book coming out, Liz? You know, I just, she's amazing. It was so flattering for somebody to kind of pick up on that. But yeah, the, the kind of, so you're thinking, yeah, all of Kitteridge, yeah, would have been very much like Nancy Sway now that I think about it. Um, yeah, Nancy is a particularly dislikable character, but she was so much fun to write. You know, I mean, I yeah, they, they look, the first novel that I wrote had not very many likable characters in them and I didn't like them. And I realized that that was a weakness in it because you have to like your characters. It doesn't mean they're likable people, but you have to be invested in them because you're asking the reader to be invested in them. You know, um, Nancy is really crucial. Stella's mother, you know, she really is. Yeah, she's an antichrist, really. She's awful. She's um, great, though. Yeah, she's yeah, a great character. Yeah. But she's one of those characters where you think, oh, somebody is like, you know, they're just, they're captivating because you can't figure out what is motivating this person. And they, she has so much power, so much power in the lives of the people around her. And where she gets this power from, you know, it's just she's so manipulative. She's a narcissist, is essentially what Nancy is, you know. So, but... You have to enjoy being around her and have the reader enjoy being around her. She has to kind of redeem herself, which she does because she's got a good sense of humor. She's smart. She kind of, um, yeah, you don't know whether to be sort of with her or against her, you know, that kind of way. Uh, But also she's given chances to redeem herself. And you have to do that. You have to keep throwing her a line. And she keeps throwing it back at you. I'm there typing it, writing it, going, come on, Nancy. You know, no, like, I mean, it gets to the point when you're writing character that the character kind of takes off and, you know, they do what they what they want to do. They lead you as a writer, which is when you know it's working. It's, it's when it becomes, it's the magic of writing. It becomes really fun. And so I was amazed at how low Nancy Swain was willing to think and the level of her snobbery and her selfishness. You know, she's appalling. 
fine. Um, but I also wanted the reader and I wanted to feel sympathy towards her. And I think that you do. I mean, in the end, you know, I mean, she's really done some terrible or her, her actions have terrible consequences for Helen and her family. But Helen is the person who forgives her. You know, ultimately, Helen is the person who feels sorry for her. And I think as a reader, you know, when you see what happens to Nancy, that you can't but have empathy for her. And empathy is the one thing that Nancy just does not have for anybody else, you know. But yeah, she was great fun to, to write. And the other one was Marcus Mackey, the local drug dealer and skirt chaser and sort of dodgy landlord. I mean, I hated him. <laughs> but he's a type, you know, he's he is. a type. That's what I was just going to say. We we know these characters. I think that's the mm. thing. To see them come to life on the page makes perfect sense because anybody who's lived in a small town, particularly, I think you your life is marked by those kinds of characters. You remember them forever. Yeah, yeah. And the challenge as a writer is not to turn them into caricatures because they are in every community. You know, they're in everybody's lives, but you don't want them to be cardboard cutouts. You actually, you know, they have to have something unique about them because, of course, every person in real life is different. So every character you write, there has to be usually something nuanced and quite surprising about them. Or just when you think that they're going to change, you know, or maybe they do something that shows that they change, but then they change back again, you know, and it's kind of, uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Marcus Mackey, I really disliked him. Really, he was the one even more than Nancy. I think I disliked him, you know, but at this, yeah, so yeah, there's ones you have your favorites, it's like you know, favorite children, but there's so many characters <laughs> in this book. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, to me, I loved the men in it, you know, I love Ted and I love Morris, Helen's dad, and I, uh, you know, Marty, um, the brother in law, yeah, I just. Some great, yeah, yeah. And then, and Jimmy the King Croak, the Elvis impersonator, loved him as well. You know, he's really, yeah, he's a great character, you know. And do you think any of them have life after this novel then? I mean, are you yeah. are you so kind of connected to them that you feel like you can't give them up just yet? Well, you know, because I've been promoting the book and I've been doing a lot of media interviews, I have had to set aside my next novel, which, you know, I was working on up until this was published. Um, and... They're in my head all the time because I'm talking about them all the time. Uh, but I am going to have to kind of let them go because I need to move on, you know, and and, and sort of, you know, just get stuck into uh, number two. Uh, but a, a funny thing happened. I mean, you know, the... I'd sent the amusement. It was it was off about to get printed. I mean, this was, I don't know, maybe April, May this year. It came out in June. And uh, I woke up about four o'clock in the morning realising that my new novel, the one there's two main characters in it, and one of them is in the amusements. And I just, I was going, how did I not know that was him? I just, it's the um, American professor that Joanne has had the affair with. Now he's the, the most minor character. He's only in one line in one chapter. Like he's not, you know, he he never even goes to Tremor. He's just somebody in one of the characters' lives. And I realised, I mean, I've written thirty thousand words about this guy. Right. And I was like, oh, Jesus, it's him. And I was like, listen, you have to. He was David Bamber in the original draft of The Amusements. So I had to call Penguin and say, listen, he has to be Daniel Shapiro. They were like, why? What difference does it make? And I was like, well, because he's in the next novel. He's one of the main people. You know, you have these characters and they're in your head and you're, 
you're, you know, you're planting them, no matter how big or small they end up in the book that the reader is, you, you know, the final product itself, they're in your head and you've planted them and you don't know whether they're going to sprout, whether they're going to, you know, they, they don't go away. And it's a revelation to me when I suddenly realized, ah, that's who you are. You know, it was amazing. You it know, is that, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. And yet it's brilliant, isn't it? Like sometimes I think we have these ideas and we think they're brand new, but they're usually rooted in something else. You know, there's something that we've done before or something that we've heard. I yeah. mean, yeah, it's, it's great, though, that you it's wonderful that you have this very small character that then is going to have his own life now, it sounds like, in this new novel. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's a first draft. I don't know like what, you know, I, you just don't know what's going to happen. You know, I, it could take me five years to finish this. I might get distracted to do something else because I learned my lesson from the first novel and the short stories and then the amusements coming after that, you know, so it's all um, it's all still to play for. Yeah. And yeah. is that the way you tend to do things? You kind of you'll take something as far as you can take it and then maybe switch your attention if you feel you need a, a distraction from it or you need some time away from it. You'll go and write a short story or something. Yeah, yeah, it is, which obviously is very dangerous. I shouldn't be doing it. No, well, I tell you, I yes, it is. That's exactly what I do. And I mean, because I've been working you know, going to festivals and promoting the amusements and talking about it and all of that, I started writing short stories again. And so... Um, just because with a novel and with me, I kind of go into a cave with the novel. Like I'll just lock myself away and there's nothing else happening. I am in a world with these characters. You know, I mean, I was like, I've spent a lot of time in Tremor. I mean, my mother said to me, so that's what you were doing, going off on those walks up and down the beach. You know, I was in my head with Helen and Stella and Morris and Ted and all of these people. Um, and so that's what I will do with the next one. You know, I will just be in their world, just constantly, you know, just thinking about them and having conversations with them and putting them into rooms in my head together to see what happens. You know, that that is. So you become quite obsessed about it, or at least I do. And so the short story is a way, a kind of like a palate cleanser or a way that I can keep writing when I can't get under the skin of the novel. And I haven't been able to do that because I'm still with, you know, I'm, I, I, yeah, I'm, it's kind of like big of me, you know, I'm still with the amusements. I can't be going with the next one. So in the meantime, I'm, you know, I've got all of these little rebound short stories that I need to get out of my system, but it's been great. And I'm, you know, I'm really, I feel really lucky that, you know, I'm able to do that or that it seems to be something that, that works for me because it's very daunting coming. The amusements has been really, really done very well I'm so grateful to all the people who've bought it and I mean it was very well received in Waterford the book centre have been great Cattles and Tremor have been great uh you know I've done um the Imagine Festival Waterford Writers Weekend spoken to you know the young people who are involved in the lit and it just seems that people have really read it in the spirit that it was written and that was very important to me I didn't you know, I suppose I didn't really realise it at the time. I just, I didn't want to annoy people as a blow in to Tremor by, you know, going, well, this is, this is a real place. Real people live there. I've just set an imagined community there, you know, and I, you write it creatively, but you don't want at the end of it for people to feel like you've used their lives in some kind of way that's disrespectful. So it was really great that it was well received down in Waterford. Um, so, yeah, it's. 
yeah, but I think it is time for me to kind of to kind of move on to the next one. Yeah. 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 It must be nice, though, getting back to, you know, the literary festivals that for a couple of years just, you know, were oh, online yeah. um, and, and getting I, I presume you, you really enjoy, you know, meeting other writers and, and mm. talking to them about it. It must yeah. be a nice liberating feeling to be able to share your either joy at having something produced or frustration about writing the next thing. Mm. Is it is that in, something that you you like to do the circuit, the literary circuit? Yeah, I look. I've I feel so lucky because, I mean, I think at the start of lockdown, you know, I had a finished book. I'd no publisher. I'd no agent. And then I turned fifty at the beginning of lockdown, and I got a phone call from an agent who'd pulled a manuscript it was actually a part of the novel that was all about Nancy right she pulled it out of a slush pile for a competition that I wasn't long listed or shortlisted for I was in the bin basically and she pulled it out wow. of the bin and uh, she was one of the judges and she said I really like this and so she said do you have any more with this woman this awful woman and I said oh yeah that, that's only that you don't know the half of it I said I've got a whole book of her you know and so she sort of sent it to me and she said I, you know I'm very busy I'll get back to you at some stage and I was like yeah I'll probably never hear from her again but she got back to me within 48 hours and I got an agent for my 50th birthday it wow. was brilliant yeah so so but then I had two years of lockdown I was like are we ever going to sell this book what's going to happen and you know what Jenny I was very lucky because even though I was in I mean you don't know what's coming what's in the future so you can't look ahead and you don't know oh well it's great because penguin are going to buy this book and you know we'll be out of lockdown by then and i thought no one's ever going to buy this book she's great the agent is great whatever you know you, i mean everyone was feeling very negative it was a tough time but i had friends and people i'd studied with who um that was the other thing i mean i could have looked at their situation because they were getting published their debuts were getting published i was delighted for them you know I and mean, well i I mean, I wouldn't say I don't. I, I thankfully I've never suffered from envy or jealousy, but there's always a little thing at the back of your mind going, "Oh God, you know, is it ever going to happen for me?" And um, I feel terribly sorry for some of them now because there's there is nothing quite like your. I don't. I don't expect people to be supportive about my second novel. Um, in the sense that people are always very kind about debuts, you know, like they really do what's new and they're very supportive of first time authors and to not have that because of lockdown, you mm. know, you don't have your launch. You don't have, you know, even book clubs stopped happening. People got tired of doing it online, you know, um, none of the festivals, none of the events, um, even doing things like media interviews, uh, they couldn't go into radio studios. You couldn't meet people in person. Um, and it's, you know, I mean, it's very hard to do media stuff for most writers anyway, because they're not used to speaking publicly about their work. But, you know, if you're a debut author and they, I, very few writers that I know enjoy doing media, you know, um, I like it. My career was in media. I, you know, I'm quite comfortable with it, but I understand why it's quite daunting. So, um, yeah, so it was great to publish as we came out of lockdown because I had a book launch and I think it was the first launch that Penguin Sandy Cove had done in two years wow. in Hodges, Vegas. Yeah, so it was like, you know, I felt like I was getting married. It was great. Like all my friends from years ago, like from my undergraduate in Maynooth in the 1980s came along, people from DCU when I did my master's in journalism, you know, my son's football club, my neighbours, <laughs> the tennis club. It was great. It was, so, you know, it wasn't one of those kind of stuffy publishing affairs, you know, where it was, you know, it wasn't everyone who was there was there for a personal reason. And that was, it was just lovely. 
so yeah, it was it was great. And then yeah, and then I I went. I was invited. I don't know. You probably know Derek Flynn. I think um, he's a writer down Waterford. So Derek runs yeah. this Traw Tales and Croke's Pub in Tremor. So that was one of the first events that I did. He said, "Would you come down and read upstairs in the pub?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'd be delighted to." So that was just really, really nice, you know. So there's been a couple of things. Roddy Doyle invited me to go to the Cheltenham Book Festival with him, and that was, you know, so I was there with um, Niall Burke and Suad Aldara, two other uh, debut authors. Um, that Roddy had chosen for his panel of emerging writers and he interviewed us. So that was quite surreal. <laughs> That's so great. exciting. Yeah. Oh God, I was, I'm sure I haven't been out of the country since 2019. I was like a child. And then in the morning when I was going, it was so embarrassing arriving at the airport. You know, Roddy Doyle is standing there and I was there going to my son, where's the suitcase gone? And he said to me, <laughs> this is embarrassing. <laughs> he said, do you not remember that the cat went to the toilet in the suitcase? <laughs> and I was like, so we've no suitcase. He was like, no. And I was like, you'll have to give me your school bag. <laughs> so I rocked up to the airport with this sco- no fear school bag with skulls all over it. Surely that is a Roddy Doyle appropriate story. I mean, if ever there was one, he would love that, surely. He did. It was a real icebreaker. But I was like, this is so embarrassing here. Because I was like, well, what I wear, I have to look really writerly. And then I'm there at my school bag, you know. (laughs) Uh, So that, yeah, yeah. So I... Yeah, I need to get my act together, Jenny. <laughs> Not at all. We are we are delighted to be reading this book. I have to tell you, and I just want to say thanks a million for joining. Are you me students reading it? No, our students are not reading it oh, at right, the moment. Okay. We so so when we are planning curricula, we have to kind of plan it a bit in advance. So hopefully, we have a module called Literature and Society, and I see this fitting right in at some point. Um, yeah. So it would be brilliant. It would be fantastic to get you know something that is set in the southeast and, and to be able to discuss it with our students so like it's just yeah. so exciting it's, ex- it's really exciting when there's um a novel that is set around here that we can you know bring into our students and bring into our curricula it's really yeah. it's really great but you know it amazed me that nobody else had used Tremor as a setting the, uh, and that was that was the, the trigger for me was that uh William Trevor wrote a short story in the 1960s called Honeymoon in Tremor that I'd read beautiful short story he published it in a journal in america somewhere it's not very well known but it's in you know he's the very large collections of his stories and that's a fantastic story and then that was the one that made me think you know what i'm going to write a story set in tremor because how come nobody has written a story that's down there so um so that's another good one for your students to read definitely yes absolutely maybe they could be companion pieces i'm seeing it in my mind right now um well angela look i better let you go you are a busy lady and um i just want to wish you all the best with whatever comes next whether it be the new novel or a series of short stories that are distracting you from the new novel. Um, But just best of luck with this as well. I hope it runs and runs and I look forward to seeing the TV series. Great. Thanks so much, Jenny. (laughs) Thanks a million. Bye. Bye bye. (laughs) 